Welcome to the Luminous Podcast, helping you follow the simple yet profound call of Jesus to go and make disciples. Hi everyone, this is Nick from the Luminous Podcast. Today we're doing some things a little different than usual. Instead of Jamie interviewing me and Danny like she normally does, the three of us are beginning a round table discussion on Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 20, which is a key passage about bringing Jesus to others and disciple making. Our first discussion is on Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 4, which is all about the posture of a disciple maker, but we had such a great discussion that our conversation went a little longer than usual. So we decided to break up the episode into two parts, which is why this episode seems to end midstream, because it does. If you want, you can jump right into the second half, which drops at the same time as this episode. And while I have your attention, if you're enjoying the Luminous podcast, can you please do us a favor? Could you give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform? and maybe even leave a good review if your platform allows you to do that. And also share the podcast with other people because these three things help the magic algorithm and encourage Apple and Spotify to recommend the Luminous podcast to others. Okay, with all that said, let's jump in to the posture of a disciple maker, Luke chapter 10 verses one to four. Welcome back to the Luminous Podcast. I have some excellent news. Would you like to know some excellent news? Yes. Our, I know for a fact, our, li- our listenership has at least doubled. Ooh. Yeah. I Doug got a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Shout out to Melissa, who has said that she is listening to our podcast and enjoying them. So we now have two listeners for sure. Actually, I, I just checked... Uh, our spot ca- uh, spot our podcast hosting place and it said we had an audience of nine Whoa. we have uh, what is that non-tuffled like non- non-tuffled basically making going up words. viral i don't think you should <laughs> yeah. make up words nick yeah <laughs> i think that's i think that's a real word that's uh, know, okay podcast audience of nine can pod- one of you please look up and let us know if that is in fact a real word? i will because you know what Yesterday, he also used that word, too. So <laughs> you're dropping it into r- normal conversation yeah. all the time. So I am going to look that up in just a second. Right. But wha- I'll have a, I have a task for you while I'm looking up non-tuppled. On our last session, we um, talked about the famous I will statement. And yes. both of you um, set an I will statement to help you remember to um, live out what you learned and what you felt God was speaking to you about. Danny, do you remember what yours was? It's just yesterday or so. Yeah, this is uh, this is the part of what I wills that it always sounds great when it starts out, but you know that at some point, if you write it down and you say it to others, they're going to ask you how did that go. Yeah. So this this really is the continuation of the lesson from last time. Is what does it feel like to be asked how did it go? Um, quite a challenge, and in fact, it was helpful because I knew I was going to get asked. So there, there was this danger. I wrote it down Tuesday at 4.30. I was going to take time to reflect and do some review. And uh, I did it. I Great. sat down and I remember I was challenged to not want to do it. But the accountability of remembering that I had said I would do it. Others had heard it. 
and I'm going to be asked it. And uh, it was a it was very helpful um, to take that time to just reflect. Great. And that's yeah. the whole point of having accountability with yeah. this. And so it's to us and our our non non uppled audience. <laughs> it is a word. It is non-upple. 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 Yeah. Okay, that was close. Yeah. So Nick, can you tell us what your I will statement was and how it went for you? And how was the did the accountability piece keep you more accountable? Oh, totally. It would you have done it without the accountability? I would I would like to think I would have, hmm. but uh, having the accountability definitely was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to have to tell someone about this. And yeah, it was it was it was a day or two or month or two away <laughs> before <laughs> that we did this. And so mine was um, to take time each morning to just uh, pray a prayer of surrender for, for the day to God, to his timing, his will, whatever happens in that day. And um, yeah, I was going to do that. I think I said every day or did I say three days? I you said Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday. Okay. I would, uh, I did, I think four of those five days okay. so um which is uh which is interesting because at one hand we would say oh i would think oh man i i missed a day or that's only 80 percent or whatever but when we're talking about i wills uh in the luminous like kind of training it's we celebrate everything and so i'm trying to shift that thinking to say i prayed that prayer of surrender four days more than i would have if I hadn't made that I will statement. Yeah, and so instead it's, of saying it's a you, success. you failed. Yeah, I like yeah. that so that you're not beating yourself up no. for not reaching another goal. Yeah, I have students often, because um, I'm a, a high school Bible teacher, as I have mentioned, um, when they do this activity, they're like, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. And I try to reframe it and say, well, fantastic. It was on your mind, which means you're thinking about it. And you weren't even thinking about it last week. So we try to find reason to celebrate everything. It's a victory. Somehow there's a victory. Yep. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, you know, I have a question for you, Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is my segue. It's terrible. <laughs> but whatever. Um, you know, every Christian knows the Great Commission, right? But my question is, is it too abstract to live out? And how could one live out the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all the world and teaching them to obey so, yeah. yeah, good, good segue. <laughs> no, it was terrible, but whatever. <laughs> so um, we've we shared before on the podcast that sort of the guiding statement of the Luminous podcast is we bring Jesus to others that they may be fully alive. And, and Luminous focuses kind of on the on the first half of that. Like, what does it look like to bring Jesus to others in today's culture? And uh yeah, I, Jamie, you're right that, that we, you know, I think when we think of bringing Jesus to others, probably the first Bible text that comes to mind would be, would be the Great Commission. But I'd like to um, throw that question out. Before we answer uh, that, your question, Jamie, I, I would just love this discussion on, like, what do you guys think is the, what are your general thoughts on the state of the Great Commission today in in the sense of like how do you feel the church is doing at at valuing it living it out um is it are they are they obeying jesus the way jesus would expect it to be done 
I, I feel a little bit like what Jamie had just said about the I will statements, and that is we think about it. We, we kind of have this idea in the back of our head, we should be doing the Great Commission, but um, we're not sure if we did it or not. We often think, well, I thought about it, or I was impressed upon it, but actually taking steps to do it out might be difficult. And may, maybe the issue is just like we had with our I will statements, it's too abstract. Mm. It's... Um, you know, we say, oh, I'm going to do the Great Commission. How are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? What time will you do it? Right. Um, you know, you, when you were pushing me on my I will, you were forcing me to think, what does it actually look like? And so maybe that's the practice we need to figure out here. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think that when um, we look at the Great Commission, I think people are still um, looking at it as um, big evangelic evangelistic programs more so. I think we've talked about this for so more so talking about Jesus without actually doing the teaching part of teaching people to obey. Right. Yeah. So, so sort of like the, perhaps uh, people view it more as a program of the church as mm. opposed to the DNA of a follower of Jesus. Yeah, probably we, we do push it into is what we are doing. So when someone produces a film that everyone, it's a Christian film and everybody rushes to theater to see it, we get excited because we are doing the Great Commission. Right. Um, so there's all these big activities happen that a few people are doing and then we jump in on bandwagon and say, yeah, look, we're doing the Great Commission. I'm not so sure if that is a complete fulfillment of what Jesus meant. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. I feel like it's taken more corporately if your church or Christians are doing it, then you're, it's good, but it's not really an individual thing for individual Christians. Yeah. So yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with, with both of you. Um, I, I, would, I would agree that the idea or the concept of the Great Commission is like paramount in the hearts of most followers of Jesus um, and paramount in the, in the hearts of churches as well. But um, Maybe the way that we choose to live it out in today's culture sometimes can can leave something to be desired. And so so today, we're not just today, but over the next few podcasts, um, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 20, because the beauty of this passage is it's one of the clearest examples of how to live the Great Commission. It's Jesus teaching his followers how to live out um, the Great Commission and bring Jesus to others. Great. Yeah. Um, so maybe how what we could do to start is, uh, Jamie, maybe mm -hmm. you could just read that passage, uh, Luke 10, verses 1 to 20. And while Jamie's reading, um, maybe the rest of us and, and you too, listener, uh, just think of three questions. As you hear this passage, um, question number one, what does Jesus want us to do? Question number two, what does Jesus not want us to do? And question number three, who does Jesus want us to look for? So what does Jesus want us to do? What does he not want us to do? And who does he want us to look for? Okay, so uh, go ahead, Jamie. Okay, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. 
Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, We are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Keep going. Yep. Oh. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. So, uh, yeah. So what catches your attention? What did you catch about what Jesus wants us to do, doesn't want us to do, who we're looking for? Jamie, you've got a bit of a smirk on your face. So what, what does okay, that mean? Okay, listen. We watched this show once and it was like, I think it was like the long way down or the long way up. And basically these two guys on motorcycles are, are traveling around to different countries and they go into these people's houses and they offer them very strange food. And in one, it was uh, a soup made of cow testicles. Mean, and so I'm thinking here bull, where bull, it said... Bull testicles. <laughs> bull testicles, <laughs> yeah. Cow testicles. <laughs> or whatever. You know what I'm saying. So here it just says, you know... Eat whatever. Eat they, whatever is before you. And I just can try. I'm just imagining myself fears come up trying to go and minister <laughs> to people. And they put this in front of me and having to eat uh, that. I don't think the inter international multicultural flavor <laughs> is what Jesus was too concerned about here. I, <laughs> but that's it's funny how we read from a modern context back yes. into the scriptures and imagine them going to a multicultural town having to deal with all these different foods. They probably all ate like the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's. That's interesting. I was, I was, uh, I always read this story, and and the beginning and the end kind of catch me because I I envision the disciples being challenged to do this and how freaked out they must have been. Mm. I mean, just you got to be kidding me. And then at the end, the contrast of these guys coming back, skipping and dancing, and high fiving each other when they meet each other as they get closer to the to the to where jesus was and they like no way i did this oh yeah well i raised a guy from the dead or whatever they yeah. did I, I don't know uh uh comparing how many demons they i don't know what they were doing but they were having fun and they were pretty jubilant about it and that contrast just catches my attention yeah anything else from you jamie uh every time i read this something else 
stands out. Um, but yeah, I also like the um, the part where it talks about how your peace will rest on the people mm. if a person of peace is there, but if not, it will return to you. That's, that's just yeah. interesting to think about. And one of the reasons that uh, I chose this translation was because Ashley used the term person of peace, mm. which, which is a term that we use in DMM and luminous training. But, you know, you hear that and say, well, what the heck does that mean? So I so bet you're going to unpack that for us. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to do uh, for this podcast is we're just going to look at the first four verses, uh, chapter 10, verses one to four. And, uh, and these four verses really sum up um, the posture that a disciple maker, a person who's bringing Jesus to others needs to have. Like what kind of posture do we need to have? And so even just looking at that first verse, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Anything grab your attention from there? Uh, he wants us to have a partner in ministry or not to go alone. Yeah, w that's, that's interesting. So like, there's the idea like, what does he want us to do? And he, here talking about like he sent them in pairs, like he sent them in twos. Like what do you, that's something, I, that's something that's in, in today's day and age, like we don't really think about, like what do you think the purpose of that may have been? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get prescriptive on this saying that Jesus said, oh, it has to be in twos, you exactly. know, um, because the rest of the Bible plays out where, you know, sometimes it was an individual, but uh, the concept that this is not something you should engage in alone. Yeah, y you should be together. You should encourage one another. You need. There's going to be that accountability. There's going to be the support you're going to need um, when you're up against things. Someone in your corner going, "Hey, you take this one. You got it. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll be watching out." Yeah, I think that's a really great point um, because we can read into this or read this and make it prescriptive and become even legalistic about it. Like, oh, um, you know, it says go out in pairs, so we have to go out in pairs. But w again, w in, in Luminous, one of the things we're doing is saying, what are the principles we need to pull out of this? And so, so the principle isn't we have to go out in two door to door. The principle is you know, don't engage in this alone. It's, it's, it's something that, that we need the support of one another, even if it's just sharing the stories, um, prayer together, or anything like that. But it, we don't need to be legalistic about how we uh, engage in the Great Commission. Yeah. Otherwise, you got a story in Acts where Philip is, you know, led by God to go to this guy who's in a chariot and talk to him. And uh, can you imagine Philip going, oh, if only there was another person <laughs> around, I could really help that guy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's not two and it's not real, so yeah. I best not. You yeah. know, like, you know, thank God he individually followed that obedience. And that might be the other thing I noticed on there is the call of God or the, the, the greater thing is that God sent them. Mm -hmm. And do we have a sense in our hearts that we're being sent by God? Yes. Yeah, that's great. They're, like Jesus specifically selects them and sends them and and at this point it's the 72 but I, I i do believe in the great commission that has been expanded to uh, include every follower of jesus that that we are we are all to be sent we've all been selected to live out the great commission in our lives
I think the best part about this um, first verse is that he sent them ahead of him to where he was himself was about to go. And they're almost like John the Baptist, like the people preparing the way for Jesus to come. Because they're, they're in the places and Jesus will come after them, but they're making things ready for people to welcome Jesus. So helpful, that concept, so helpful, because the first thing I would imagine is the fear of, how is this going to work? Because you, you think of the project, I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to accomplish everything. But what Jesus says is, you're, I'm not actually asking you to accomplish everything. I'm just asking you to, to prepare the way. I'm asking you to go. I'm going to come there. And so right away I realized, what I don't get done or what I can't do, Jesus will follow and he will accomplish. So take such a pressure off that when I'm going, I can trust God that whatever happens will be great, but he is going to follow up on it. Yeah, I love that. So, okay. Um, I, I think that's all accurate and right, but I do have one question because what about this idea that, that um, does it apply in the same way today now that, now that Jesus has ascended and sent his spirit and, and he is present all over the world, can we actually go somewhere where Jesus isn't already there? Like, I'm not, sh I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure that we can go to a place where Jesus isn't already present. And, and that's, and, and on the one, like, that's one thing that gives uh, me encouragement is like, if I'm coming to a person to, and there's an opportunity for a spiritual conversation or something like that, I am encouraged by the fact that, that I know that Jesus is already being at work in that person's heart in, in some way and through some other interactions and, and I'm and I'm just playing a part of the plan of Jesus for that person. What do I, you guys think? I, I would take it a little I, I would take it back to the idea of obedience based discipleship. Mm -hmm. That we're trying to get across the concept that we just need you to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. Um, other scriptures in the New Testament point out, I think it was in Corinthians where Paul was um, struggling a little over how individuals were saying, I am of this person, I follow that guy, and trying to align themselves as if that one person did all the work. And his comment to them was, one waters, one sows. Uh, God is at work in all of it, so God gets the glory, but different ones had a part to play. And I, I think that what I can take away from this is, you have a part to play here. Your part is to just get it ready. I'm going to follow up with it. Now, that isn't the way it plays out here for us, because Jesus isn't necessarily following us personally. As you mentioned, he is present by the Holy Spirit everywhere. But the concept that we just have to be concerned about our part yeah. is the takeaway for me. Yeah, that's good. May, so maybe we could sum that up by saying, like, what, however we are engaging with, with people, we can have confidence that Jesus has been there before us, starting the work, and he's coming after us to complete the work. And, and it could be other people have gone, you know, have intersected with that person before and other people intersect with the person after, and we're just doing our little part. But Jesus has, is surrounding our work with, with his interaction in that person's life uh, before and after. I recall studies on this area of evangelism where they, having surveyed people, indicated that the average person who comes to a place of faith in Christ has typically been in encountered, uh, had seven encounters previously with others of faith. It is rare that a person in one encounter walks the whole journey of coming to that plate of place of conversion. 
So the chances are you are not being asked to be the Savior in any incident you're doing. It's likely you're just going to be asked by God to go and play one part. Mm-hmm. So be faithful to that one part. Yeah. Yeah. And back to your to the garden analogy you brought earlier. I think that some places are just really hard and difficult and you have to like you have to go ahead before Jesus can begin to flourish. You need to break down things. You got to um you got to till up that soil and you got to be um watering things before anything can even sprout. Like we're in a a village Nick and I are trying to um, bring Jesus to this particular village. It's been absolutely the hard, hardest place to reach. Um, but we're doing the work of tilling the soil. So I think that even though Jesus is already there, he's calling us to partner with him in um, preparing the way so that he can flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. His, so that his message can grow. Great. Okay. Um, well, so then after that, after Psalm 72, now we're moving on to verse 2. And, he, and it says, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So again, like if we even just go back to those three questions, what, what does Jesus want us to do here? Well, he wants us to pray mm-hmm. and not do everything on our own, um, believing we can do everything. Like I think there needs to be humility and prayer in every every situation that we're trying to re- people that we're trying to reach yeah yeah i think uh the, you know his first words like the the, har- the harvest is abundant or other translations say say the harvest is plentiful um tells us that there's a lot of work to do like if if the har- if there's a huge harvest you know there that's a lot of work on behalf uh, on behalf of the laborers and 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 the farmers and stuff there's more work with a with a bigger harvest, um, but then he and then he says, but the laborers are few, um, and so this idea of let's not delay because like what happens what happens if we delay during harvest time? Everything you know? goes to ruin. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, it could go to ruin. Yeah, it, it, it's a strange verse because he's sending out the seventy two. So he's in the midst of sending out laborers into the harvest field and then says to them, pray that they go, that, har- that laborers go out. I, I'm looking at this. If I were standing there listening to him, I'd be confused. Mm-hmm. You're sending me out. Now you're telling me to pray for people to be sent out. But excuse me, Jesus, aren't you sending us out? Um, so it, it is a bit confusing what he was intending here. I mean, clearly the word prayer jumps out. He wants us to be praying. Yes. Um, so, but I am the one being sent out, but is this, is this an encouragement that even more need to go out? Were the 72 perhaps questioning, you know, that's a lot of us. You're sending out this many. Maybe they're questioning, is this overkill? And is Jesus just emphasizing to them that there's more work than you could even accomplish? So as you go to do your little part, pray that even more go out. Yeah. Yeah, I... I um I would agree. Like, I, it, it, it's, it, it's not even Jesus is saying, uh, asking us to pray. It's, it's actually a command. Like, he, if, if, if you, if you and I, listener, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is commanding us to pray for more workers for God uh, in the harvest. But I think one of the key things that we have to, when it comes to our posture, 
is that we have to understand who determines the harvest, right? God determines the harvest. And we, that even goes back to what you were saying, Danny, about the, the idea of like these people, like Paul saying, hey, you know, one plant and one watered, but it's God who, who determines the harvest. So if it's God who determines the harvest, then it's not our talents, it's not our money, <laughs> it's not our programs. Those don't determine the harvest. And so when we go out and we're relying on, uh, you know, our skills or we're relying on the money that the church has put into a certain program or relying on, you know, our buildings or whatever, um, we're relying on the wrong thing. If God is the one who determines the harvest, then we have to rely on God as we go out, which is why we pray. Yeah. Right? We don't throw more money at a, at a problem first. We throw prayer at a problem. Yeah. And the prayer is attached to the idea of people. So uh, the harvest is abundant. So the workers are few. Pray the Lord of harvest to send out workers. The, the prayer is, it's a prayer for more people. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, not programs, not buildings. Um, you know, it reminds me of those companies that um, oftentimes are quite successful, but where they have a very high value for people. And they say people are business. So, um, it, where they say our customers matter. Like it's not about all the programs and training and fancy slogans. If we have good people, then great things can happen. And and I could see that this harvest is out there. And if we could get good people, regardless of whatever the programs are, uh, people carrying the love of Jesus to other people is the solution. And this is the harvest is great. Please pray for more people more yeah. workers, people that can go out. But I think the harvest is more people, is the good people. Like the good people are out there. Those are the people that we're yeah. going to be speaking to that will become workers. Exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. And yeah. I also like that um, we. it says the harvest is abundant. It makes me think like there are people that have already been watered and are ready to go. And there's like, it is an abundant field out there, but um, very few people are going out there and just harvesting or yeah. i mean that's so abstract so i wonder if we could even take that down yeah i i okay so a couple of things first i think just in the idea of prayer just like even to point out historically that that we know of there's never been a dmm movement a successful dmm movement and there has never been any kind of spiritual breakthrough or revival that wasn't first preceded by prayer right like like the the idea of we want this massive move of God in a certain place um, requires prayer. It, that's, that's where we begin. We don't begin with programs or whatever. We begin with prayer. And so the, the, just the, the, the importance of prayer. But Jamie, I, I, I really like what you said there about the laborers because this is another perspective shift for us, I think, um, with the idea of of being a person who brings Jesus to others. Often when we think of like pray for, we think of praying for workers for the harvest, we think of God sending more workers from the outside to come in and reap the harvest. But like more Christians. Yeah. Yeah. But the perspective shift is that the workers are already present in the harvest. Yeah. And and as people come to faith in Jesus and begin to follow Jesus, they become co-workers laboring in the harvest. 
which is which is why I think we may have said this a couple of podcasts ago. But one of the sort of the sayings in 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 DMM is coworkers, not conversions. We're not we don't go into the harvest to look for conversions. Like that's you know check we talked about before. Like you just check off. Yep, that person. I don't know, pray to prayer or whatever, made some kind of commitment. Now we move on to the next person. No, we're, we're praying and looking for coworkers. Conversion is a part of that process, but it's not the process. It's just a step in the process. And so this idea, like when we are praying for more workers to come to the harvest, to have the mindset of not from the outside, but from within. Yeah. Uh, th- that that is a massive perspective shift because I think about how we've done evangelism and the message of the gospel that we've shared with people has been consumer oriented. It's reflected a little bit our Western mindset, which is what's in it for me. And so when we preach the gospel, we preach a message about how you can be set free from your problems. You can have new life. You can you can have a better time. You can have more peace. You can fix your marriage. You can have your kids obey you. You know, all kinds of yeah. whatever reason is we're attracting people to the gospel. It has to do with that idea that they can experience something. But where is the call within that to you could come and live a life different than you've ever lived? You can come and be a part of a kingdom expansion business. Uh, if we don't include that right at the start, then a year after they've walked into their new faith and their life starts coming together and they say, okay, now it's time for you to go out and harvest. And they go, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, you're just blowing me aside here. Oh, I thought that was implied from the beginning that you're going to become a worker. Oh, I thought it was so I could get my marriage fixed. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, 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 we tend to preach Jesus as Savior and not so much as Lord. In, wow, yeah, in, that's good. In the sense of like, come be saved from all your problems. But the Lord part is walking in obedience and join, you know, picking up your cross and joining the mission. Yeah, and I think that if you do it that way, where you just say, hey, come and get your marriage fixed or whatever, and then once their marriage is fixed, maybe then they're good enough to start entering into the other, the real work of um, reaching people that's for that's Jesus, which is think. wrong. And I also, another thing that I don't like about um, evangel- evangelism in the past has been there's a kind of a us and them perspective like you're looking at um the people you're trying to reach as the others or people that are um i don't know i'm not sure what i'm trying to say but like there's an us and them kind of thing but if you're looking at it um in this way and you're looking at people as oh that's not somebody like that is just somebody that's like who's going to be with me soon or it's a little more inclusive inclusive And less us and them. Do you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, someone said this just the other day. I heard him and uh, was talking about this idea that if, if the, how we fix our eyes on other people, the harvest, if you could call it that, so as he calls it here, uh, the harvest, we look at those people. If we look at them in the differences of how they're not like us, then they can become the enemy. Mm-hmm. And how do you make friends with people that you're already objecting to? Uh, but if you see them as not yet potential fellow laborers, um, when you walk into that, there's less uh, hostility, there's less objections. You're not going in defensive. Mm-hmm. You're walking in with an openness that says, hey, I'm, I'm sure you would love to hear this story. Um, I'm sure you'd love to have a life like this. And you're not 
I don't know, you're just you're 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 removing some of the obstacles that we've created just by the perspective that we've been walking into it with. Yeah, it's like future family or future partners. And so you treat them like you're already part of us, you just don't know it yet. Yeah. 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 It's good. Big, so big perspective shift. I like yeah, this. Yeah, a very big perspective shift. And and maybe one more just I don't know if it's perspective shift or not, but just one one more thought. Um, you know, in the in the parable of the sower, there's there's four different, basically four different soils present. And like Jamie is correct that that the w work of the kingdom in, in the village where we are ha has at times been difficult and, and slow and taken a lot of labor. And so there are, you know, there are places where it seems like the toil is, uh, the, the soil is already tilled and ready to go. And other places where it seems like uh, this ground is a little harder, the soil is a little harder. But in e both those places, the harvest is still plentiful. So it's it's like the the condition of the soil doesn't determine like if the harvest is plentiful or not. It just determines at what stage of of the uh, process you're in. Like maybe you're there to begin tilling you know uh at the beginning and maybe you're there planting seeds and maybe you're there watering and maybe you're there and there's like blossoms and blooms and stuff but but wherever we are no matter how hard the soil seems doesn't change the fact that the harvest is plentiful there yeah and i think there's it's like a timing thing because we've been in this place for what 12 10 i don't know how long About 11, 11 years. years now and it's been so hard. And then in the past year or so, suddenly we're, we're finding people and they're just like, they do not know Jesus. And suddenly they are hungry. We're finding people that are hungry for Jesus and are showing up with us and are just want to learn all about it. And we're like, where did this come from? But it's, yeah. it's come from, I think, from all of our prayer and all of our tilling and all of the work that's being done. And it's just, it's taken so long as just things are just starting to shift now. And, and it, it came from not only the 10 years of tilling we did before, but, but the yeah. years and years of people before that yes. who were also yeah. tilling. Yeah. Like yeah. we're, again, just part of, we're part of the process. Yeah. You gotta avoid the hero complex, yes. like, uh, right. like it was us. It was not uh, me that did it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Listener. humility. I think yeah. I think I love too the idea that Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. How many times has our conversation reflected a disagreement with Jesus? Mm -hmm. That you know, when we talk about the hard ground, we complain as though there can't be a harvest here. Therefore, Jesus was wrong. Right. And I think we ought to be careful <laughs> about suggesting Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, he made a declaration here, and it wasn't really up for debate. The harvest is plentiful. Yeah. He's already determined that. We spend time talking about whether it's plentiful or not. Why are we doing that? Why are we spending time, wasting time talking about whether the harvest is plentiful? Jesus already said it is. Yeah. Let's move on. That okay. is fair. So I so, earlier said we live in this place where the soil is hard. So now I would like to change my statement and say that the harvest is plentiful because Jesus is already at work. And so, yeah, very convicting, yeah. Danny. Thank you. Wasn't, um, wasn't meaning to, it's okay. <laughs> to you do that. It's okay. You can squash me like that, a bug. The, I can take it. If the Lord is convicting <laughs> you, great. But this is, I, I think that's, I see the joy in how you've been corrected. Yeah. <laughs> well, that wraps up the first half of our discussion on the posture of a person who brings Jesus to others. Make sure to check out the next podcast where we continue this conversation and we look at Luke chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 
We talk about sheep, we talk about wolves, and what it means to travel light as a follower of Jesus. See you on the other side. I kept wondering why the baseball oh, was no. getting bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> Do you know that actually happened to me? What? Got hit by baseball. My dad, I was playing catch with my dad, and he said, keep your eye on the ball. And so it hit me right in the eye, of course. Uh, <laughs> nice. One day, I was playing in elementary school. I swung the bat and hit Kirsten Cool right in the head. Oof. Ooh. And uh, for then ever, I thought, I don't want to ever play this game again. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like hurting somebody. Okay. When I was learning how to play uh, softball, I asked my mom to help me by pitching the ball to me. Mm -hmm. And she pitched me a ball. I hit it as hard as I could and hit her right in the leg. Wow. And she got this huge bruise and she never did it again. <laughs> never, she never helped me out again after that. Yeah. <laughs> we all have, we all have baseball horror stories. Baseball trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my trauma was being forced to go to a baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> and I